What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with part two of NBA Peace or Panic, recording a solo intro, even though Grant was 100% here for this episode because we had a last-minute submission. I forgot to close them in our Discord. It's about Luka Doncic and the Mavs, so I figured I would hit it. Very quickly, though, before we get started, please, please, pretty please remember to subscribe to us wherever you consume us. If you're on YouTube checking us out for the first time, hit the sub button like comment to help the algorithm also if you want to get in the comments and have a discussion i'm happy to discuss with people that disagree but grant and i do work really hard and put a lot of research in and so don't come at us with a bunch of bs or be a condescending asshole um because i will call you out on it we put a lot of work in and i don't expect everyone to agree with us but it's very frustrating when we're putting this much work in and we have these dismissive asshats coming in here into the comments we're also being unkind to some of our other commenters so let's promote the positive community on youtube and continue to grow it um so if you could sub there that would be great especially again if you're watching this for the first time consider downloading us on the actual podcast player platforms as well that helps us out a ton cross subscribe we want you on apple and spotify google and stitcher in addition to to youtube follow us on all the socials the handles are on the screen or in the podcast and youtube descriptions join our discord channel that's where you get priority um mailbag uh access i don't even know what to have phrase that but you ask a question we will answer it on the pod i do send out twitter solicitations normally but we've yet to do that this year and i don't know when i'm going to do it because our discord members are fantastic and just get in there and have some discussions you can talk to to myself grant is not in there but i do try to respond to people especially when i'm tagged um but just have you know help us continue to build that community have some discussions with people that are already in there uh, that about covers it up for the housekeeping though so again i will transition to the part two of peace or panic that features uh, grant he's on most of this podcast this is just the one segment he won't be here for um peace or panic from Killhoss. Luca is going to get worn into the ground over the season if he doesn't get more help because of his crazy usage rate. Or Luca will be fine because he is 23 and in shape, does a large bit of his work in the post, and the Mavs play with one of the slowest paces in the league. This is a fantastic um, piece or panic, and Luca's usage is something that has received just a ton of attention. He, um, they are spot on with the way that the Mavericks play, and of course, Luca's post work. Um, the Mavs have the ranked dead last in average, or I guess you could say that like first if you want to be slow, but they are dead last in average offensive possession time. 15.7 um, seconds is the their average offensive possession. That is 30th, um, and 29th is Philly, in case anybody cares. Also, Luca's post work has effectively doubled this year, um, more than 15% of his uh you know, field goal attempts or possessions rather are coming in the, the post. He is shooting a ridiculous 63.5% as I record this um, on post-ups. I would push back against the notion that that helps conserve energy just because like it could be more physical in the post depending on who's uh, defending you. I know he's capitalizing on a lot of mismatches at times and I can confess I did not go back and watch every post-up to see how, how physical it was, but that is like playing in the post can be super taxing, uh, by itself and that's even without yeah is his 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 foul rate on post-ups by the way is like kind of high 22.7 percent uh he's drawing a a shooting foul so he's getting to the free throw line 25 percent of the time when he's posting up that is a massive number and you're you're taking some form of you're taking some form of contact there so in addition to the physicality that comes with being in the post anyway he's fourth in post-ups per game in the league right now um, ahead of Anthony Davis and Jokic ahead of Alperin Shangun behind Zion, Joel Embiid and Yusuf Nurkic are the only three players in front of him. He has the highest 
um, free throw frequency of all these players. He has the same free throw frequency as Jonas Valanciunas, who is, I think, seventh in um, post-ups per game, and he gets to the line 25% of the time there. But when you look at high-volume post-up users, um, Miles Turner's sample size is not big enough to really count him here. Only Jonas Valanciunas gets to the line as often um, for anyone who's averaging three or more post-ups per game right now. And then after that, you get into Pascal Siakam and Carl Anthony. Um, Pascal Siakam's right there. Um, yeah, look, even if we drop down the filter, I'm doing this live because I was curious to see his free throw frequency. It's not something I thought of before. Um, looking at anyone who's averaging even two post-ups per game, only Jonas Valanciunas matches Luca's free throw frequency. And then you get below that, Julius Randle uh, is a little bit ahead. So he is taking some bruisings. And then there's just the context of his total usage in general. Um, this is someone who his usage rate, uh, it changed, it dropped a little bit. Uh, it's at 38.3%. That is still one of the seven highest marks in NBA history. Um, and what I think is more interesting than even just the usage rate is like, hey, let's look at how responsible he is for setting up the rest of the Mavs offense. His assist rate is in the mid 40s right now. Like this is the that's the seventh highest assist percentage he has right now for anyone with a usage rate over 30. And when you're getting into like the even higher usage rates, he's going to separate himself further. He's just carrying this monstrous burden and it's historically this is i hope people are still tuned into this because these are the numbers that sort of blew my mind um it's an historically heavy usage rate so right now 66.7 percent roughly of the mavs total offense is generated by luca and what i mean by that is he has scored or assisted on 66.7 percent of the mavs's total points as i record this that is not it is not factoring in uh, their loss to the Magic. So I want to make that clear. 66.7%. Let's go back and compare that to the two highest usage rates in NBA history. Coming from Russell Westbrook at 41.7 in 2016-2017. And then James Harden, 40.5 usage rate uh, in 2018-2019. Let's start with Russ. He accounted for 49% of OKC's total offense when you look at points scored and points generated off assists. James Harden. He accounted for about 45.5% of the Rockets' total offense when looking at, again, his points scored and then um, points generated off assists. Is this number by Lucas sustainable all season? I would say no. It's going to come down. I would argue that it was pulled back after the Magic loss as well. That being said, if it's anywhere near this, we're talking over 50%. That is absolutely monstrous. And this is someone you need. Like, if we're scaling this out over the entire season – you need him to play in 82 games almost to keep pace with everybody. And it's not like he's not playing minutes. I mean, he's at over 36 minutes per game. I don't care how slow you're playing, how good a shape you're in, how young you are. Yeah, he's 23. But again, he is taking um, his licks when he has the ball in his hand. And it's also just, this is a fifth season of his career. So while this isn't the James Harden trajectory where it's, all right, his true shooting percentage in the playoffs is noticeably lower than his true shooting percentage in the regular season. Lucas, for the record, in the playoffs, he has a higher true shooting percentage in the regular season. It's so early into his career and you're just continuing to tax him more and more and more. And you, I just, it's, it's wild to really just think about. And so this is just the, the other thing to sort of look at his time of possession this season, 10.2 minutes per game, NBA tracking data that is available on NBA.com. I'm sure teams have, and maybe even some writers, if they have second spectrum, um, like the actual subscription to it. Uh, I'm sure they could go back even further, but it goes back to 2013, 2014. Uh, that is the single highest single season mark right now, 10.2 minutes um, as a time of possession. And last year, Lucas led this category 
in each of the past three seasons. He was tied with Trey Young in 2020-2021. But last year, he owned the title outright at 9.3 minutes, worst time of possession. James Harden never even hit this level of over 10 minutes at his highest usage points. Ditto for Russell Westbrook. They're putting the ball in his hands a lot, and that's just extra time. Like, that, it's extra energy. I don't care what – like, he's not sitting – the entire time just dribbling at a standstill he's surveying like it's mentally exhausting even if you want to go there he's surveying the defense targeting mismatches going over ball screens like this is taxing work and this is going to be the more bonkers thing here 80 as as of right now 89.9 percent of luca's field goals have gone unassisted it's actually over 90 percent when you look at just three pointers it's i think it's over 91 percent but 89.9 percent of luca's field goals have gone unassisted. NBA tracking data on this goes back all the way to 1996-97. There is not a player who has averaged 15 minutes per game and made at least five appearances. These are not cherry pick stacked. 15 minutes per game, whatever, and then a minimum of five appearances. That was just to filter out like there was some noise in this. Since 1996-1997, no other player has even come close to having the percentage of their field goals go unassisted to this degree, 89.9%, the second highest. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, it's possible that I made a mistake because I'm going through decades worth of data here. And it was for, you know, this mailbag type of question. I'm not writing an article on this. Steve Nash in 2009, 2010, 88.8% of his field goals went unassisted that year. Uh, that's, I, I know you go back. It's just Steve Nash never just, even when he was winning MVPs, that's just not what struck me as that. That number is just, it really was funny. And by the way, if, if uh, anyone cares, Tyler Eulis, uh led the, the league in this category one year, and it was 2016-2017 uh, um, with 84.2%. But regardless, 89.9% of Luka's field goals are going unassisted. That is the highest mark in the NBA since at least 96, 97. And when I'm looking at the trends and the league leaders were in like the 70th percentiles or 73% or, you know, low seventies, I'd hazard, you're going to go further back. And this could be like the largest mark in NBA history. Um, I'm not too familiar with like the super nuance historically of the game. So if, yeah, you went back decades to maybe the seventies and sixties. I don't know if any of those would be, um, would be higher, but this could literally be the most ex like exhaustingly high usage season that we've ever seen coming from Luca at this moment. And just to underscore this, let's go back to that Russ season where he had the highest usage rate in NBA history. 81.2% of his baskets went unassisted. That's a lot. It's also a lot lower than uh, Luca right now. Harden, 2018-2019, 87% of his shots went unassisted. That's really high. It's one of the highest marks since 1996-97. Uh, it's still lower than Luca's. And I would argue that this heliocentric shift has its limitations where, yeah, it'll get you 50 wins in the regular season, maybe, but you need to have other options in the playoffs. I don't know if Chris, a healthy Christian Wood, a healthy Spencer Dinwiddie, a healthy Tim Hardaway Jr. count as that for this team in the playoffs. I would argue Dinwiddie or Christian Wood. I mean, that's not really a hot take. They're your best bet. I don't know if either of them are like this playoff proofing option. And you also run into some issues with, Christian Wood specifically, you're making a lot of defensive concessions when you're playing him with Luca. then. So can you run that in crunch time? And also, he for a big man, he does do this, but like you probably want more of an outside-in attacker, which would be Spencer Dinwiddie there. Can he be that guy? And my, my issue is 
will he even get the chance at this point because of how high usage Luka is? I'm not, this is not, I want to make this clear. This is not an insult to Luka Doncic, who is an incredible basketball player. And the fact he's able to do the things that he's able to do on the volume, shoot a trillion percent from mid range, get to the foul line on 25% of his post-ups average 1.27 points per post-up possession, 1.27 points per post-up possession. We kind of romanticize post-ups like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, uh, Anthony Davis has been really good in the, or let's say Jokic, he's really good in the post. Yeah, he averages fewer than one point per possession in the post. 1.27 points per possession is like an actual offensive rating that teams would kill for because the average offensive rating is 1.12 points right now, 1.13, however you want to frame it. Lucas just beating that in the post. The, the dude is incredible. I just think he's overtaxed, and you absolutely do run the risk of burnout if you continue down this path with him. I don't know what their pathway is to getting somebody else. Um, They can put all their distant first on the table with, you know, disregard the one they owe the Knicks in 2023. They don't really have blue chip prospects or even players on their roster that are going to entice a ton of teams as a centerpiece. Yeah. Dorian Finney Smith and Maxi Kleber are interesting. Christian Wood is interesting. Spencer Dimity at this point is really interesting. Josh Green has perked up. Frank Neil Keen is a future perennial MVP. Like these aren't guys that are going to be, the centerpiece of a blockbuster trade, you would have to rest on the picks and it's who becomes available. I think the name you would look at and you would need to want to go to Dallas is, but I'm, and I'm thinking really high end. I think Luke is so good that we can have the talk about, well, if you get someone like Jalen Brunson, who's like the 54th to 75th best player in the NBA, that could absolutely work for you. And that's, I'm not even, that's not a shot. Again, I have taken shots at the Mavericks for letting Jalen Brunson go, or at least botching that whole issue. That's not really, I mean, that's part of the problem here, why he's so high usage this season, but I'm not saying that they would have been way better off title contenders. We've seen Jalen Brunson's own limitations in the playoffs. I think you want someone a little bit bigger than him to be not just your number one option, but your second option. And so what I immediately think of, like, we got to go high end here. And Bradley Beal's a no trade clause in Washington. The Wizards are kind of are floundering uh, bottom 10 offense and defense. They're on the fast track to nowheresville, in my opinion. If he wants out or the team wants to start over, is Dallas on his list because he has the no trade clause? And so it's not even Dallas has to beat the best offer out there. There could be a team, I don't know who it is, maybe it's Memphis. Let's just say it's Memphis that actually beats their offer. But if Bradley Beal doesn't want to go to Memphis, that can work out in Dallas's favor. That's the name you have to be targeting. Maybe Zach Levine, but there's just weird stuff going on with his knee right now. And I, I can't really get a feel for where the Bulls are headed. I would almost argue, I want to make it clear, I have zero feel for the Bulls but they just played the Pelicans really tightly and like they're hovering around 500 with a positive point differential per 100 possessions. And their, their defense is still in the top seven and yet their offense is hovering close to the bottom 10. Um, but the Zach Levine knee stuff is just absolutely weird. And then just after that, I can't really see who's going to become available. Like if, if Lamella ball eventually wants out of Charlotte, but we know how these rookie extension things work out there. So and there's just not there's not another obvious opportunity here. If the Clippers wanted to blow it up and Paul George, but I can tell you right now that the Mavs won't have the best offer. He doesn't have a no trade clause, even if he doesn't guarantee that he's going to go somewhere. Dallas can't get that, so they need a very specific instance. Maybe it's a matter of Jimmy Butler. Would he want to go to Dallas? Things are if things fall off the rails in Miami. He has three years and like 140 plus million left on his deal. It's his age 30. He's he's at age 33. Right now, that might scare some teams away. Perhaps it wouldn't Dallas. They could want if he wants to go there again. He will have a say just because of superstars with that clout always do. But in this case, you also want a superstar who, in essence, it's like almost prohibitive. Their contracts a little prohibitive because of how old they are. And I think there'd be a lot of teams like let's look at a Memphis um, and Jimmy Butler's not a perfect fit next to John Moran anyway, but a Memphis would be more reticent to take on that deal. 
I would think, than certain other teams would. Dallas being one of them. Maybe it's, look, Kevin Durant, I have, he could probably pick where he wants to go, even though he has three years left on his deal too. Um, an NBA executive theorized to Sam Amick at The Athletic that they must have, you know, he basically, they basically implied, excuse me, that to get Kevin Durant to come back at all this season, uh, they basically said, hey, we won't send you to New Orleans. We won't send you to Indiana if we trade you, but come back and we'll trade you where you want to go if everything implodes. Who knows if that's like an option? I would argue that, again, there would still be teams like the Nets could go back on that. They're, the Mavs can be outbid is my point, but I think you have to find someone and it's not it's not a matter of waiting anymore. Like you've already given Luca the, the super max because he deserves it. And you just look, I don't know where you want to put him in the MVP discussion right now. A lot of people have him one. Some people have him two, three. He's he's easily in the top five. I think he's probably easily in the top three at this point. He's one of the three to five best players in basketball. I haven't ranked this out right now, and I'm not going to get into that hot take, but like there are four locks in the top five for me at the moment. Maybe five if you include KD, but I'm looking at Luka, Giannis, Jokic, and Steph. Like those four are absolutely top five players right now for me. Your window is now if you're Dallas. And this is not about calling out the Mavericks for fucking up their offseason or messing up part of Luca's prime, but I absolutely am of the belief that there aren't inherent limitations to the way that he's playing, especially because it's so it's such an historical anomaly at this point. And I would worry about him wearing down. Again, he's young. He's in fantastic shape this year. He's playing fantastic basketball. We are in November. And so while no, some of these numbers can scale back, they're not all going to scale back. At this point, it looks like he's going to comfortably be responsible for over 50% of the Mavs offense. That is a monstrous number. We're talking about 90% of his field goals going unassisted. And if he has to last the entire season, this isn't Shea Gilgis-Alexander circa, was it 2020, 2021, or 2021, 2022, however, he didn't play in as many games. Like This is a Luka who, if he's not playing in that many games, you're not going to make the playoffs anyway. Uh, you need to figure out a way. And I just went through some names, but the Mavs' best pa package is 25, 27, and 29 picks. You can give up swaps in 24, 26, and 28 then. And they would, some of them would, everything would technically have to be conditional because of the, the pick you to New York, but it's top 10 protected. It's going to convey. So you don't have to worry about that. I, and I'm not saying you need to throw all that for the, like whatever, like at a, just anyone or even for anyone, depending on who's available. But like you need, uh, you need either a co-star or at least someone you look at and say, we're comfortable with him being our bare minimum number two, given how good Luca is. And just right now, between Christian Wood, Spencer Dinwiddie, I, I think that you're probably a little too low end there. And that's not an insult to, I mean, Christian Wood's been fantastic. Spencer Dinwiddie um, has shot the ball a lot better since coming to Dallas than I would have expected. And when, when you're kind of looking for middle end options here, yeah, I could throw out like something like an Eric Gordon might be a nice stopgap. Uh, like, and you have the salary filler to get him, and he probably doesn't cost you a first round pick. What are we doing there in the end, though? That's a move. If you can get him without giving up a first, especially, you, that should absolutely be done. Although the money you're sending out is bad money. So maybe it would cost you a first. That's also why you don't do a deal like that because the first you're sending out is in 2025. And if you're sending out a first, it needs to be for a certifiable, let's say, A, let's say B plus player at least to a minus you're not going to get like an AA plus where I mean, Luca's a plus. So that's where I land on Luca. I am concerned. I think he's fantastic. And if there's he look, he's as close um, since, you know, I guess like James Harden, like the, the prime era, James Harden in Houston, pre CP three, he's as close. Like he, he is as close to the NBA comes to just having this walking one man, 50 win contender. But I'm very much of the mind that right now, especially in a league with so much parity, um, in a Western conference where the Blazers and the Jazz are off to scorching hot starts and the 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 Spurs are friskier than expected, um, you you can't have a, a one-man 
contender. And so this is the, the, the Mavs might be really good. They're top 10 in offense and defense after their loss to them, to the magic, but they're, they're not elite. And that's through no fault of, of Lucas, unless you think he can't play a different way. I disagree. I think that he can, we've seen him do so many different things on the ball, um, but it's fair to be concerned. And I would say that should be the expectation right now. Um, you can let me know what you think in the comments or ads on Twitter. Um, we're going to get to though, the rest of NBA peace or panic with my fantabulistic co-host Grant Hughes. Uh, am I reading this one? I'd like to, cause I don't want to answer it first. Yeah. I believe it's you. Switch the order. Uh, Sixers. This is from Cosmic Raccoon. Sixers should offer Maxi and Tobias Harris in a trade for Durant. No, look, you need players who are available. You haven't beat in Harden, who have just their own injury concerns. Harden's out right now. Kevin Durant has not been durable for a few years. He's dealt with injuries. Now, I'm being kind of rough around. I would say patience is w- what it is. But like, if if that's the trade, you are really married to this James Harden, um, Joel Embiid window. I will say like. Is everything that copacetic with Kevin Durant and James Harden? James Harden just like ran away from Kevin Durant's team. I I'm assuming because of Kyrie Irving. I don't blame him. James, look, Kyrie Irving made James Harden look like a fan favorite protagonist. Congratulations! Like, that thing, that, that's, that's an incredible skill set. I wouldn't. I can't say I wouldn't do it if presented with it. It's like, well, why wouldn't you do this? And it doesn't. It doesn't hurt your defense. If anything, it probably makes it better at this point. But like, do you risk marginalizing Joel Embiid? Because like there's already been like you need to strike a balance there with Harden and Embiid and Maxi when they're healthy. Maxi is just such a perfect third wheel, and that I'm just like ah, we're getting to the point where I'm starting to think about some of these guys in different terms of okay, well, like they're in their like middle thirties. Like is this the when it, if it was just Maxi and Tobias Harris though, who you don't necessarily want in the books? I think you have to do it. But okay. I wouldn't. I don't think the Sixers are at that point. I would say peace if you're concerned about the Sixers. Um, peace if you think they need to make a big trade. Um, but panic, no, like you, you, I wouldn't like, I guess that offer would have to be like a standing offer on the table. The Nets want to move Kevin Durant. I just, that's so stupid for me to talk myself out of, but that's not a move. The Sixers need to salvage their season. Yeah. I don't know whether to call it peace or panic. Patience is a good, uh, middle ground. I mean, like, yeah, I'm doing that trade. If I'm the Sixers, I'll take Kevin Durant. Like, I mean, you know, Harris is vacillates between like, oh, this guy's a pretty good, you know, luxury fourth option. And like, oh, this contract's terrible. He disappeared for three straight games. He's not helping us. Um, and Maxi, yeah, it would suck to lose Maxi. He's he's young. He's really good. He's on a rookie scale deal. But like, it's Kevin Durant. And you have, I'll, I'll figure the rest out if I have Harden, Durant, and Embiid. And like two of them are healthy for a playoff run. Like that's, I'll, I'll live with that. And having PJ Tucker there and Danny De- yeah. Melton still, there'd be a lot of there'd be a lot of options there. That's just uh wow. I'm, i man, if Kevin Durant does get traded, I'm just curious what the haul is gonna be. I don't think it's gonna be as much as people think at this point. It sure as hell isn't gonna be whatever the asking price was over the summer. We know that because I mean it was never gonna be there. They asked for Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and multiple first round picks. <laughs> That's so great. The the big fella. The Heat are 25th in bench scoring, and with Oladipo out, that's not getting any better. Peace or panic, Grant? I mean, so I think there's some panic. I'm going to say panic, and it's not necessarily just because of the bench scoring issue and, and Oladipo being out. Um, I think it's just the offense in general. There, You kind of look down the roster, and um, I think I said, I can't remember, five seconds ago, they're, they're 20th going into last night's games. Um I guess you could imagine them getting to the 10 to 15 range. If, you know, Kyle Lowry shoots a little better, 
I still only ever see good Gabe Vincent games. I still haven't seen a bad one, so I'm not a good person to consult on him, but his shooting numbers have not been good. Um, I mean, like there's easy fixes, like just play Duncan Robinson more and he's going to, you know, get you killed on 35% from three. Yeah. You know what? Sometimes (laughs) that's an improvement over who you're playing. Um, I still think he has gravity. Like you're, he's going to give back more than he gets. I think that's been established now, which is why he doesn't play. But if you're concerned about the scoring, like there are some ways to, to get it better. I just think like, it's interesting that, you know, we all thought that the loss of PJ Tucker was, was a big deal. Um, I just don't think we necessarily expected that like the loss would be, uh, they really miss some of his shooting. (laughs) (laughs) That was not high on the list of things that I would have expected. Um, yeah, I mean, the defense is going to be good and is, is at least exciting because they play more zone than anybody, but I'm not sure I see where the additional scoring comes from unless some of the guys that they're currently playing just like, just shoot better, you know, which is possible, but that that's kind of a flimsy thing to, to be counting on if you're trying to find points. I think the real piece of panic here would be Bam Adebayo isn't fit to carry an offense without Jimmy Butler. Well, did we did we knew that though, right? Right. I mean, the look, the Heat have their offense in the seventh percentile when Jimmy Butler's off the court. It's in the seventeenth percentile when Bam Adebayo is playing with Jimmy Butler off the court. They've even tried with Jimmy Butler on the floor. Like it feels like they're giving him Bam more elbow touches, and it's just not. It's really not always working. Bam's a fantastic player, by the way. I think he might have been my pick to win Defensive Player of the Year. I can't even remember at this point, but. I'm going to say panic here. I don't even think Victor Oladipo is going to solve it. He's not the best shooter to begin with. He gives you another layer of half-court creation. The fact that you're still so reliant on Tyler Hero to be this half-court creator is almost an issue, and he's been slinging it really well for most of this year. Um, I think when we talked about the Heat, it's, oh, they need to figure out someone to just fill that four-spot minute. Like, if they can figure out a way to get Jay Crowder in a three-team trade, since they don't really have anyone that um, Phoenix wants, or even just, like, going after Kenyon Martin Jr. from... Uh, Houston would be like an interesting uh, name to, to monitor. I think they need a higher end acquisition. Like the piece or panic would be the heat need to make a big trade. If they want to be a real championship contender, I'm kind of there. Yeah. I'm kinda, I'd be, I'd be willing to go that far. And like, look, they have some of the pick equity, but they they've they're searching. They've had to play Nikola Jovic at the four for very small stretches. At this point, people are talking about, well, you know, Omer, you're at seven's injured. And it's like, well, you know, I know he had some moments last year, but if you're at seven matters, that's a, probably an issue. So right. I, I'm, I'm, I don't have, I have faith that Eric Spolster will squeeze every ounce of offensive production out of this roster in the aggregate. Kyle Lowry has had better moments in mm-hmm. the past few games that I've seen. Um, I think he will continue to get, to get better. You have Jimmy Butler, you have Tyler hero. And look at the end of the day, your top end talent's going to be on the floor when it matters most, but to have to navigate the regular season or certain stretches, they have one of the, I think it's like the sixth worst uh, bench point differential in the league right now. And there's, there's no path internally to fixing that. Unless, unless I watch every heat game from now on and Gabe Vincent only has great games. So this is really up to me to fix. It seems like, um, so like you've been like, you've seen the games where he just doesn't shoot, you know, <laughs> like zero negative percent from three is what all, you're saying. All, right. All the games I see are him just, you know, crossing guys up and pulling up from three or just like going by a guy and hitting a 19 footer. Uh, I only ever see the best game. That's, that's just... the look. If you're the Nets and you're training Kevin Durant and you're going to get, you know, let's say you guaranteed three heat picks like 25, 27 and 29 and then swaps. Like that's the team I'm probably looking at more so than Phoenix, just because they're still going to have Devin Booker. Uh, and maybe even like, I even 
this was said on the timeline podcast, which I listened to after the Camp Johnson injury. They had a they had a Dr. Raj on and discussed that at length. It was a great pod if no one's checked it out. And they said they would not trade Mikael Bridges for Kevin Durant right now. I probably wouldn't fall that far on the end of the spectrum, but like that is the point we've reached of the optics of like, well, you know, we don't want to give up all this stuff because of is Kevin Durant at any is how complicit is he in Brooklyn's like demolition at the moment? You do have to wonder that, which yes. is fair. But like the Heat, I would say their long term future. I know it's the Heat, is the Heat, is the Heat, is the Heat, but it, it's infinitely less stable. It feels like than Phoenix is right now. Oh yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, let's see uh, another Darkwing Duck uh, trying to fit this into a piece or panic wording. First of all, appreciate that. Thank you for uh, for embracing the premise. Uh, but are twenty nine teams panicking about not having a chance against the Bucks this year? No, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say peace there. But look, the Bucks have been fantastic. I mean, they did lose. I didn't watch any of that game. I saw Trey Young was out, and I'd actually been doing a deep dive into like the Murray uh, and Young fit and the Hawks overall. I see Trey's out for that game, uh, the shin injury. And I'm like, I'm not even gonna watch this. Like, this is gonna be like a disaster. They go and they just blow yeah. the doors off of Milwaukee. Um, look, Milwaukee to me deserves to be the title favorite right now. The NBA overall does not have a sure thing. I don't even, we said this last season where it didn't feel that way. It feels even less so right now where it's just like, maybe Milwaukee comes close to being a sure thing in the East, but like the Cavs exist and the Celtics exist. And then in the West, it's just the West does not have Utah's first right now. Portland is killing it. They don't have a sure thing. So I'm going to say, no, if you are in the East, though, if you want to say like 14 other teams in the East, I might go peace there because there's not, if I'm in the East, maybe the only team to me that isn't, I don't want to use the word because teams would be insulted, afraid, but like a team that wouldn't maybe have to second guess as much about playing Milwaukee or be so hesitant or, or afraid is Boston. And like they don't even have Robert Williams III right now. Assume, you, you'll have to assume he'll be there for the playoffs, so that might be a pretty big-ass assumption to make at this point i'm just at, i'm at peace because the championship landscape is so wide open right yeah. now but the bucks i will say are the closest thing we get to just like this formality yeah i, I can't get a full endor- full panic endorsement for this one but like just you you said like there aren't i know the Cavs and the celtics for sure would like a word with with that assessment but um just looking around the league like nobody looks like you know, like you said, Utah's first in the West. Like, nah, nobody's nobody's concerned that that's going to sustain. Like, the Warriors have their problems. You, you just were. You panicked. <laughs> the, Clippers <laughs> did, the Clippers have problems. Like, all these other teams. You know, Brooklyn has. Have you heard Brooklyn has problems? Um, the Suns. You know, Chris Paul's washed. We just said it. I mean, like, like there. No. The point is, the Bucks. We said it at the beginning of the year. Like, no notes. The Bucks are really great. Giannis is God. They don't even have Chris Middleton yet. Uh, they're battle tested. They've won it all. They have continuity. They're just like, they're the only team that I just like. They're defending the three-point line all of a sudden. Right. They've decided now you also can't shoot threes, which is a new development, which makes it feel kind of unfair because they're not really giving anything else away in exchange for that. So they've, they've hacked that. Well, shout out to Brooke Lopez for that, where it's just like, oh, he's just physically fine now. Yeah, like, like, It's all good. I mean, I just, so like, there's not another team in the league that has anything close to their resume that is also like kicking as much ass as they are right now. And, and again, there's upside, like they will be better with Chris Middleton. I just like, I have to believe that. So yeah. Right. So like, I just, uh, I think 
this in the spirit of the question, I guess you probably say peace because if it's like take one team or the field, you're always just going to take the field, you know, unless it's the 2017 Warriors or whatever it is. But like, you know, this, the Bucks are just in their own tier, I think. And again, oh. Cavs and Celtics, great. But like, we have questions about those teams. Maybe less so the Celtics other than Robert Williams. But this, the, the Bucks, there's no questions. We we know what we need to know. And they're delivering on like what we expected. So they're just in their own little little bubble right now. This is closer to panic than it should be 10 games into the season. I will say. And also, you mentioned the Bucks are in their own tier in the East. Is there even mm-hmm. like... In yeah, because it's just like the, everyone was all in on the Clippers. Oh, I don't think we were. But like, the, no, like that's just that's, yeah, that, like that can't be a thing right now. So there's not even a team in the West, and maybe the the standings are sort of like polluting my thoughts here. Like I wouldn't put Phoenix there, especially now they're dealing with cam injury. What we don't know about CP3, the Nuggets were my title pick. I'm not putting them there. Like who is who is the team? Yeah. So it's closer to panic than not. Let's get to this one from unbiased Pistons fan. Dwayne Casey might just be coasting off his coach of the year award from 2018. He has a career losing record and a really bad record in Detroit. I'm worried about this team getting their development growth stunted peace or panic there, Grant. So, I mean, you mean the coach of the year award that he won like after he got fired? Like, is that the one we're talking about? Uh, he was hired though by the Pistons before he officially won that award too, though, right? So, was he really coasting off of it? <laughs> right, exactly. No, I. So, I'm gonna say peace, and I have to like kind of get there in a roundabout way. Um, you know, we talked about this offline. Just what are the expectations for like what should Casey be accomplishing right now? And I think Pistons fans would say. We'd like to see more player development. We'd like to see the young guys just like be better, essentially, be positioned to succeed better, be be you know fielded in combinations that make more sense, that have more success. And my pushback to that is just you know specific to Killian Hayes. I think you know it's been now this is year three where he just hasn't been good. And and what's Casey supposed to do? Can Casey make the? Can he will the ball to go in when Hayes shoots it? Can he? Can he you know develop him that like? You know, I, I can't put someone like Hayes falling short of expectations. I can't put the blame on Casey for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't I can't put the blame on him for a bunch of young guys making mistakes all the time. And like that's just that's just what happens with guy like look, your your primary ball handlers or your your best ball handlers are Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey, who have a combined, you know, 1.3 years of NBA experience. <laughs> they're just like it's just hard for guys that young in those roles to be really good but Cunningham has you know the Luka Doncic comp was there just for how he moves around not everybody's Luka not everybody just rolls in and is going to get you 28 8 and 8 or this year like 58 10 and 10 that just doesn't that just doesn't happen so I think it's a roster thing as much as anything I think it's outsized expectations as much as anything having said that Dwayne Casey is 65 like he's not going to be the coach of this team. Little aging him over here. <laughs> well, it's just he's 65, put him out to pasture. Like what I'm, I'm saying, like maybe he's not connecting with the guys. Maybe there's some element of they're not trying to hear him. Maybe there's some element of everybody involved with the whole operation must understand that if the Pistons are ever like a competitive, good team, he's probably not going to be the coach because it's going to be a few years. And if we have another couple seasons like this, like, He's just not going to be in charge. So, yeah, I mean, 
is he is he the guy that's going to lead them to a championship or even like a playoff berth? Probably not. But I also think it's kind of unfair to say that well he's the problem. Just look at the roster. It's it's the roster to me. I think two things that stand out to me are the outsized expectations that you mentioned. As soon as Zach Lowe said he could see the Pistons kind of party crash in the play-in tournament, it's funny how the national perspective on the Pistons just seemed to change. The Boyan Bogdanovich trade might have done that for me a little bit, where it's like, oh, this fit is just so smart. Right. Um, maybe it's going to level up their offense. And it did to an extent before he suffered that like sh- shoulder injury. Um, my whole thing is just like some of the complaints – the Killian Hayes stuff. What do you want? You mentioned this, so I'm not going to rehash it. But like, what is he? What is Dwayne Casey supposed to do there? Killian Hayes is supposed to come back with his revamped looking jumper, and he did not. Like, he just I don't. Even the hype videos that were posted about it were just like the antithesis of hype videos. They they made me. I was trolling Laz Jackson in his DMs when I saw it because it was just it was so awful looking. But the other thing is just like I've seen a lot of. um why isn't he staggering Jaden Ivey and Cade more? And if you were trying to win basketball games, I get it. You want to surround mm-hmm. Cade with more spacing. Um, and that's how to optimize your team right now. You need these two to be able to play together long-term. And so figure it out. And yes, the offense is no longer, it was for a while. It was humming when those threw on the court. It is no longer that it's better when Cade Cunningham plays by himself. That's not, if things go according to plan, that's not the situation you want to be in. And so you need to explore this and get, I'm, I'm fine with, excuse me, I'm fine with them. I don't want to say overplaying those two together, but it's like, no, we're not going to stagger these two because they are our future and we need them to work. And I don't think you're, are, are you stunting the growth of either one of them by playing them next to the other? I guess there could be something to that, but again, you need this sample size to see if these two can play right. together. And so I can't get too mad about that. If you want to talk about like the defensive effort and how much they're getting burned there. Yeah. I guess on paper, you didn't expect this team to be the, the worst defensive team in the league. Like that is like, that is certainly a fair critique there. Uh, they allow way too many looks at the rim and you would expect that to, I guess be better. Like Isaiah Stewart is an impactful guy when it comes to that at the same time, like Jalen Dern's a rookie and he's going to foul like eight people per possession. And so like, what are they like? This is growing pains. Like you're, you are, your livelihood right now is tied to a lot of development. And how good were you supposed to be on defense when they just don't have a wing stopper? Like Sadiq Bay looks like he should be a wing stopper. So that's what people have just decided he is. And he's never been, he's never been that. And so I'm Pistons fans and people who cover the Pistons specifically will have a better, they'll be able to intuit this better than, than we can. But the 10,000 foot view perspective to me is I don't think Dwayne Casey's doing anything that's, actively damaging here and if you want Cade in lineups with even more spacing than they have right now I don't like does it is it playing Isaiah Livers more okay if you want to quibble over that or is it hey the roster wasn't built to give him as much space necessarily as you want especially if the goal is to play him with a rim runner like Jalen Duran okay well that's one shooter just gone so this roster wasn't constructed to have three shooters plus a rim runner on the court at all times because hey guess what one of those non-shooters right now is Jay and Ivy and it's, I look, he's taking them. He's shooting like 31%, I think he was at last time I checked. I get it. But like, you can't have it both ways to me. I'm not saying Dwayne Casey is the coach. coach. And if I know, you know, Laz Jackson from Detroit Bad Boys, a big supporter of the pod. So if anything we're saying is just off base and he happens to listen to this, feel free to let us know. But just like, I don't view this as if you swapped out the coach that this team would get materially better. Whereas if I do view, if you swapped out Tom Thibodeau in New York because of how poorly he actually is misallocating talent and, it, and 
not so much the past couple games, but that's almost by force um, with the Mitchell Robinson injury. Uh, and Evan Fournier was just so bad, like he couldn't start anymore. But I don't think you replace the head coach and anything changes with this team a ton. Well, and look, like, unless unless the culture is suffering, unless we're having, like, some real, you know, the vibes are bad, the bad habits are forming, guys are, you know, and, and there's infighting. Unless, like, that is an offshoot of Casey doing a quote-unquote bad job, according to what people seem to think, like, the Pistons losing is a feature. It's not a bug of this process. That You know, they're many players away from from being good and so if you lose a bunch of games and you win up at the top of the lottery then great as long as the other stuff isn't suffering and you're doing damage to sort of how the whole franchise is run i also was good and i don't know if this is too like naive but how much of this is skewed by the fact that oklahoma city and utah don't suck like these other teams that were supposed to suck aren't sucking and so you know, even for Houston, there's been just some sort of like pessimism there where it's like, well, because that they are the two worst teams in the league right now, someone has to be the worst team in the league. Would I pick it to be the Pistons this year? Probably not. No. But I just I can't bring myself to panic over that. So you got a we've got a couple or a handful of just specific teams that we're gonna hit here for peace or panic. So I'll throw you one first. Uh the Los Angeles Clippers. Panic. <laughs> we, we are we done? I look. You can you can look at like some of the issues that are playing them, and it's okay. Reggie Jackson was shooting uh, like zero percent from two at one point, and they're still their three point percentages haven't rebound. Like Marcus Morris and Paul George are finally over thirty five percent, but Reggie Jackson's at twenty eight point nine percent. Norman Powell's at twenty seven point five percent. John Wall's at twenty one point four percent. Kawhi Leonard's at sixteen point seven percent. He's just only played two games. Nicholas Batum sub thirty five. Terrence Mann. Sub 27%. Robert Covington, he's actually creeped above 35% finally. Uh, look, the big thing here to me is I think their offense will eventually be fine. There's still not enough variability to it for me. Even when John Wall's on the court, you could see it. But just, I, it just feels too, I don't want to say vanilla, but it just feels almost too predictable. And there's not going to be just a ton of complicated actions that you necessarily need to cover. And the fact that you've injected the John Wall element certainly helps. You're still not generating like a ton of downhill pressure for this team. Uh, this happens in the backdrop of like Avicii Zubac has been great for them and they do have the talent and the depth to say, hey, they're they're going to be fine. And I think they'll be fine. They're not supposed to be fine. They're supposed to be one of the f- five foremost title contenders and you have the Kawhi Leonard right knee stuff going on now. I didn't even realize he was out indefinitely. That's how checked out I was on like the Kawhi Leonard news cycle. You were the one that told me. It's absolutely time to panic and it's not unfair. I, you don't even need to predict the demise and say, well, this team is fucked. Like they're done. But you can also say that and have a leg to stand on at this point. Yeah, just like Kawhi has won. Uh, I think <laughs> that's like, so we started the offseason, and we just, this the, the macro view of this team was they have all the wings in the league. They have so much depth. They, you know, 12 guys can play. That's going to be a problem. They're, you know, they're built to win in the playoffs. We've seen their small ball looks work. They just, they have two superstars, one super duper star who's won the finals basically on his own, you know, I'm exaggerating, but none of that means anything. If, if Kawhi is not one available and two, like a top five guy when, when he plays. So yeah, it's early. This isn't a good sign that he's already missed so much time after starting the season. Why did he play those two games? Why did he play? Why did he start the season? If, yeah. if this was, so that tells me that like at the very least 
this was not something that the Clippers expected this, this, whatever this knee stiffness is, right. Because you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have started the season with him active if, if it were. So none of it matters. None of it. It doesn't matter how good John Wall looks on certain nights. doesn't matter who's playing well. It doesn't matter about the depth unless Kawhi is, you know, and this is a, this theoretically is an April, May, June problem, but but right now, like you can't say that he's someone that's going to that profiles as the best player on a title team. One, because he's not playing. And two, because just after all this time off and this just constant, you know, we're like, what are we in year four of Leonard's, you know, load, five load management, you know, had had health issues. Um, a, a huge panic, huge panic because they're super invested in this team. It's incredibly expensive. They're built specifically to win a championship with a bunch of vets and two stars. And one of them just isn't playing. So that that's like, that's a huge problem. Major panic for me. And I, there's no other way to phrase it. It's just, even if they, you will see the offense get better. Some of these guys are going to shoot a lot better. I just don't know how you get around like the Kawhi Leonard sized void. That's right it. Here. That's the whole thing. This next one is probably going to hurt your soul a little bit. I'm okay with it. I'm looping a few together, though. But I guess it's the Golden State Warriors, peace or panic in general. But Cosmic Raccoon says it is now safe to declare James Wiseman a bust. I also added Golden State's defense was the primary focus for me. So, Grant, on all these fronts, peace or panic? Uh, Wiseman first, just because he's been such a storyline this year. Um, yeah, there, there's for sure panic. And, like, I would say that there are a lot of things about his game that I'm not optimistic can be fixed. The, we, we've talked about this anytime we've talked about him, terrible hands, terrible timing, just does not have good court sense, has no feel. He's a seven foot phenomenal run and jump athlete that I'm not totally convinced is a basketball player, at least like not an NBA player at this stage. Doesn't mean he can't get there, but I do think it means he can't get there. There being an impact rotation guy who helps you win I don't think he's getting there before Curry, Clay, Draymond age out. So for the Warriors purposes, if you're trying to win another title with that core, yeah, he's a bust because he can't help you right now. Like he's, 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 he's benched. He's not, he's out of the rotation. He got charity minutes to start the year that his, that he had not earned and his play had not justified. And then he lost him. And it's not like they had another great alternative. They're playing it's Anthony lamb, which I had to double check who was, you know, made the roster out of camp. He was the center off the bench in relief of Kevon Looney in the game, first off the bench in the game last night that they barely won. Um, and in the start of the second half, they didn't play a center at all. So I just, yeah, Wiseman can't help. Um, and I'm not optimistic, you know, even though we're talking like 50 NBA games, that some of the just basics are fixable. It's certainly not fixable on a timeline that that matters for this Warriors core. Having said all that, I'm not panicking about the team as a whole, just because the starters are still so good, just because Steph Curry, 47 last night, just won that game by himself entirely. He's still just apex predator, like last guy you want to see, you know, uh, uh, matched up against you. So uh, I, I think the rotation beyond the starters is a real problem. But realistically, they need like two, three guys to emerge. And that's your playoff rotation. And the playoffs are all that matter for this team. So I'm not panicking overall, uh, but I am panicking about Wiseman specifically, just because how cool would LaMelo Ball be on this team? Or like any of like the other, anyone other than Anthony Edwards 
from that draft would be helping more. Like you could just throw a dart and they would be more helpful right now than Wiseman. Where do you land on that? They should have taken Franz Wagner instead of Jonathan Kuminga discussion. Yeah, they probably should have. <laughs> I think, but I still love Kuminga just athletically. That guy's like a 99th percentile guy. Um, but he's, I, he's going to be better sooner than Wiseman, but even he is, uh, you know, it's several years away from, from being someone you could, you could start on a serious contender. I think I'd be with you on time to panic about Wiseman. I lean towards peace with the warriors, but the real piece of panic here is just like, okay, it's fine that the starting lineup is still really good. What do you have outside of that? Is it time to right. panic about maybe Jordan Poole not being as good as Bill has not because of his struggles this season, but I mentioned this to you off air. It, we probably need to have a discussion that he hasn't been able to lead like Stephless units, uh, Stephless units to neutrality ever in his career. Yes, those are big shoes to fill, and maybe the Warriors haven't necessarily given him the tools to do it. I think he's improved a bunch as a passer, but like that's an issue. And maybe then the real piece for panic is it's time like to cash in some of these younger chips and make the trade so that you're maximizing this window rather than trying to 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 straddle two different timelines. Yeah, I'm I'm more open to that. I was like a hard no on that basically all of last offseason and last year. Um, you were. I remember proposing trades to you, and I was giving I was getting the Warriors good players, and you were just like I don't know, man. Yeah. Wiseman might be David Robinson. So we can't, right. we can't, try that was him. my comp. And, and, and Jonathan Kaminga is a more athletic Paul George was my other. Right. Comp. Yeah, that was Looking, great. Looking great. Uh, no, it's now it's just, I don't know. Some, some of me wants to pull back because it's how greedy do you want to be? And the answer should probably be as greedy as possible because it's also totally within the realm of possibility that neither Wiseman nor Kaminga you know, even if you wait till they're 25, 26 are good enough to be the anchors of a, you know, the next wave of their, neither of them looks like Kawhi, you know, extending the Spurs dynasty. Like that's, that does not seem to be on the table to me. Um, and, and we just spent a bunch of time talking about how nobody looks like unbeatable except the Bucks. So that kind of pushes in the direction of maybe you should go get somebody that's going to actually help and not kill you in net rating every time they play like Wiseman has so far. So yeah, I'm, I'm not all the way in, but I'm way more amenable to to a win now trade than I than I was like this time a year ago. They do run into a similar issue to the Nuggets, though. That what is the salary fill you're sending out yeah. here? Because it helps that Wiseman is making nine point six, but like unless you're going to start trading Kaminga, who's at five point seven, you're not getting to any real money. And so, who is the trade target that year? I'm not even asking you because I didn't. We didn't discuss like what, but like what is the trade? Like you can't even go out and get an Eric Gordon. Without right. trading a core player at yeah. this point, you have to, Draymond's the obvious answer, but they're just they're not going to trade him. I just don't think that's would you do Draymond for Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> no, because the defense is the problem. Right, I was about to say that'd be an issue. They're foul. The Warriors are fouling all over the place. I still think that was why someone asked me whether I thought it was a championship hangover, and I was just like watching them. It just feels like I mentioned this with the Pelicans and Zion that everyone's overreacting when James Wiseman's on the court. He's not the sole no. like issue. I think some of it's been like Clay at points, but like. He's not the sole, even Jordan Poole, but like when you have those two playing together, Jordan Poole and James Wiseman, like I, I haven't even looked at what the foul rate is on those lineups. It's probably through the roof though. Yes. I mean, and Poole has been a total zero defensively, negative defensively. And Clay was a turnstile last night and Malik, he could not stay in front of Malik Monk. And so guess what? You're not going to see Malik Monk in a playoff series. You're going to see Devin Booker or something like that. It's going to be a little harder. So that's concerning too. Um, let's get our third team here. Uh, the oh, specifically Minnesota's offense, peace or panic. 
I don't want to say I'm panicking because I want to be better than that. I thought this team was going to be a regular season juggernaut. I'm going to go peace, but it's just like, man, there the ball movement is just not there. I thought Chris Finch was going to get super inventive on offense, and I just haven't seen it. Um, people who are smarter with X's nose, if you noticed something, feel free to point that out to me. Uh, there's just the issue of like, you know, there was the whole, you saw the video of like uh, Anthony Edwards with the hands on his hips. Yeah. One, I call that gravity. Do you see how close his man was pinned yeah. to him? Hey, back but, off him. Why don't you? Like, He's obviously not getting the ball. Right. Uh, but like, that is just weird. The, like the emotional spectrum of this team is just weird. And like with Carl Anthony making like passive aggressive jabs at uh, Anthony Edwards in the press. And then if you're worried about Anthony Edwards, body language, I watch this team and they could still be really good. And they'll be like, D'Angelo Russell should shoot better on threes, but it's also just like, they don't seem to know. And I wonder how much Carl Anthony Towns getting sick and them not really having a training camp or preseason together impacted this. No one seems to really understand their role on offense, except for Rudy Gobert when he, you know, he's in health and safety protocols right now. So I look at their offense. It doesn't feel they have nudged up their three point attempt rate to about league average. That's not high enough for this team. Yeah. The whole point of, how you're going to make teams respect you offensively by playing Towns and Gobert is that you just need to chuck that bad boy. Like you just need to throw it up. Um, the offense for the starting lineup has been atrocious. I think it's, they were at 98 points per hundred possessions, roughly when they were on the court together. Uh, I'm going to give this team more time. So I'm going to say peace, but it's just like, you don't even necessarily have people coming off the bench who make a ton of sense to augment the talent that you have. You run into a situation with Kyle Anderson, you immediately can't play him with Rudy Gobert. And that's kind of a big deal because Kyle Anderson, you spent the mid-level on. Um, Jalen Noel, off to a really hot start, um, but he is shooting 31.1% from three. You've gotten to a point where it's like, oh, you know, like, do we need like Jordan McLaughlin to like show more steadiness? And so like, if you're talking about players like that, um, I think Torian Prince, has been mostly steady for them. Uh, J- Jane McDaniels needs look. Jane McDaniels is still not tanking enough, ta- tanking, taking enough threes, and he's not hitting them either. And like that was always going to be. They valued him the equivalent of two first round picks in the Rudy Gobert trade. That is just like the rumblings that are out there. Um, I've even seen weird stuff from him on defense, like just sort of away from the ball. These could be growing pains. I'm just going to assume that they are. Everyone's so new to each other, but like I didn't think I was going to be this person fewer than 12 games into the season. I'm closer to panicking. Than, than I thought I'd be. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I'm going to say peace just because I, I think, I mean, Gobert is like low-key a really hard guy to just in, introduce into a lineup. It's just, I mean, defensively, he should make everything easier. And and when he plays, the, the, the Wolves are great. They're fine defensively, and they'll get better. But offensively, you know, it's thrust a lot of guys into different roles. And Anthony Edwards has talked about, you know, he likes to play in space. That's clearly a shot. I, I think he, you know, he tried to mitigate a little bit. Um, people thought it was like the reaction was, well, maybe you should have asked him before you made the Rudy Gobert trade. And then it was reported, I believe in the ringer by Rob Mahoney that they did ask him. And so yeah. like, if that was like a, you know, and there's a clear, I can't remember who pointed this out, but there's a naivete there because he was right. frustrated about reporters asking him about lineups because they work for the team. And it's like, he's, he's super young. I'm not, but yeah. like, there's, there's a huge dis. No, those reporters do not work for the teams. So, yeah, so much. Like, believe it or not, despite what we get from like the Shams and Woj phrasing sometimes and how that relationship with agencies yeah. work, like, no, the reporters do not actually work for the teams. I, I just think, I think where I do have some panic, so it's, it's hard. They're good. It's difficult to integrate. Towns being out was, was, I think, is a factor uh, it, for, for just lack of reps in training camp and preseason and stuff. I just, I am a little concerned 
that I'm not sure, like who is the, who's the adult in the room with the voice that one, everyone's listening to and two is saying the right stuff and carrying himself the right way. Cause I think, you know, Edwards is too young and he's got some foot and mouth stuff already that's happened. Gobert, I think just generally his reputation is not the easiest guy to get along with. Uh, Towns, I don't think he's regarded as someone who, you know, his voice carries, you know, in a locker room. So I just kind of wonder if that aspect of it, this is so like, oh, the vibes aren't good. And this, you know, it's so fuzzy and and there's right. no numbers attached to it. But like, if a situation is not going well, the personalities do matter. And and I think maybe that's something that wasn't, a, you know, a, a cons- big enough consideration when, when making a trade like this, because it was going to change a lot of stuff and guys were going to be put in uncomfortable positions. How are they going to handle that? Like so far, not well is the answer. Um, I think it can get better, but I do have some concerns that, you know, there might be some more sniping and infighting and bad body language and all the stuff we don't really talk about that much on this podcast or write about because it's like, well, well, how do you quantify any of that? But I, but that is something I think that does at least warrant like some attention going forward. I'm probably less concerned about that than I am watching some of just like their their half court offense specifically. Yeah. It's just like I don't understand the rhyme or reason to a lot of time. And again, that could just be going through the motions. If Wolves fans are listening, they're probably pissed off. We both did default to peace, though. Yes. Even if you think this is low level analysis. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna loop the final two together because I don't really need to give them more airtime on this podcast. But the Lakers and the Nets, and it's the essence of them. Like that, that is the the peace or panic. Um I the two stages of this is peace or panic for both of those teams. Who are you less panicked about? Uh, I mean, obviously it's panic for both. Like you said, I'm less panicked about, man, that's a good question. I should have thought of this harder. I'm less panicked about, this will surprise you, the nets. Oh, don't say it then. (laughs) Because, uh, they still have like they can still trade Durant. I think the Irving thing is gonna sort of resolve itself. Like he might just not play. I think, and that's probably better for everybody. Um, the surrounding roster, like the role players, are just way better than the Lakers, even though most of them have underperformed. Um, and I see outs, I guess, with the Nets that I don't see with the Lakers. And the Lakers is like. You know, it's the family operation. Rob Palenka has too much power. He's had one good offseason and like five horrible ones. Um, <laughs> they can't trade Russell Westbrook. LeBron James is 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 falling off. Uh, they probably have to trade Anthony Davis, I guess, if they want to like have any future. So uh, yeah, I'm more I'm ridiculously I'm I'm more panicked about the Lakers just because I don't see a fix for them. I think you have to be more panicked about the Lakers because LeBron's about to turn 38. And that's just, I will, I don't think trading Anthony Davis makes sense for them just because they don't control their first round pick. Uh, and you can't trade LeBron either because of when he signed his extension. So if you're going to make that decision, make it in tandem, that's something you reevaluate over the off season. I also think that with Brooklyn, you can get more to recoup your long-term cover than the Lakers are going to get for Anthony Davis at this point. I, I think people might be looking at the benchmark of what Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert fetched the jazz, uh, Anthony Davis about the same age as Rudy Gobert, way more injuries in his rear view, hits free agency sooner. He only has next season guaranteed, and then he has a player option. And if he's declining that player option, 
or not the if he's picking it up, you probably didn't want to make the trade for Anthony Davis in the first place. So there are just more landmines there on the court. Uh, I don't have hope for either one of these teams, though. I think because Durant's in Brooklyn, it's kind of like Ben Simmons could get a lot better. Um, so it's like you see a pathway, I guess, to them. But the East is like might be also deeper with elite teams this year than the West is. And so the Lakers path back to anything. I'm at the point where I think Rob Polinko should have been fired already. And like this is stuff you should have addressed over the offseason. Trading Russ, doing a better job fleshing out of the supporting cast with fewer guards. Almost at the point now where it's like, do you even still trade Russ? if it's out there, because what is the end game of this season? I don't, it doesn't get you where you need to be. I'd rather have cap space and draft picks leading into this summer. And then you, can you make a trade there or sign someone that helps reopen the window? Um, That's where I'm at with the Lakers now, because I don't think any, and I think miles Turner would be a great fit. He just had the game of his life against the Pelicans on Monday night, but miles Turner and buddy healed aren't fixing everything that's wrong with it. They can't hit a three. The off half court offense is ugly. And Hey, by the way, Russ has been playing really well since coming off the bench and he's coming off the bench. So you've played that card. Um, Darvin Ham has AD playing the five, like Thomas Bryant's injured. Damian Jones is basically an afterthought. Uh, like, so you're trying new things, but we're at the point where it's like, this team is one incredible Matt Ryan moment away from being perhaps the worst team in basketball at this moment. And you find yourself, yeah, Austin Reeves is a nice player, but like, you can't be so reliant on Austin Reeves. You can't be this tethered to Lonnie Walker's ebbs and flows. So there is even, there's no hope for either of these teams. I said, and I got, people were mad. I said the Nets were doomed because I think it was hard for people to wrap, like look at them on paper. No, they were doomed. Like Kevin Durant wanted everybody fired, requested a trade. Kyrie Irving tried to find a trade and couldn't. Both these teams though, this season are doomed long-term. I guess you could still argue that the Nets are less doomed because you have that trade Kevin Durant card, but if they were to keep the cores intact, I think the Lakers might have more outs there than the Nets do at this point because you're going to lose Kyrie Irving for nothing this yeah. summer. You might have just lost him for nothing this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't know what, like, but these teams are just both, and I don't mean to give them more airtime, but if we're talking about they, the expectations, this is, this is the, they are the living embodiment of the meme. Our expectations were low, but holy fuck. <laughs> you somehow failed to, to hit them. Yeah. Well, boy, we, we close that out with a lot of panic. Uh, let's let's go. Uh, we don't need to panic about just another phenomenal pod because we did it, Dan. We delivered. Um, five stars. Gonna... From me. <laughs> five stars. Five stars to you. Five stars to everybody. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, please remember, like Dan said at the top, download, comment, like, rate, review, subscribe, smash all the buttons. Uh, you know, check us out uh, on our socials engage with us, get on the discord. Uh, you can find all the information on that stuff in the YouTube and podcast description. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, help us just keep building this, uh, cause we like doing it and we like interacting with you guys. So, uh, in closing, I would again, just like to apologize to the one and only Jared Allen. And you forgot to shout out Frank Milikina. I'm always going to, I'm going to let you shout out Frank Milikina. That's your, thing. who, who is healthy and available to play as we record this. So the Mavericks are going to win the 2023 NBA title.